Amen. Praise God. You could be seated right where you're at. It feels good to be able to say you could be seated again because most of the time when I'm preaching, no one else was in the room. Um, church family, I'm so thankful that you're here. Can we just celebrate one more time? I love hearing you, hearing you celebrate and hearing you just hearing that you're here and that you're with me. And I'm so thankful for our team that has been continuing to help make our online services possible. Welcome to everyone watching online, those that aren't yet attending with us in person, but also the beauty of what God's been doing in this season. Can I tell you, church family, through online, not only have we seen so many more people joining our services than ever before, but we've seen people in other states come to faith in Christ and even lead members of their family to the Lord over the last 15 weeks. So come on, can we celebrate that, that God's working and using... Uh, technology, even in these challenges. We are in the final week of a series called Greater Love. This has been a series where we have been walking through and uh, really experiencing um, God's heart and his love as reflected in his word. And as we take time in this series, uh, we're looking at the challenges that are going on in the world around us. And how many know there are quite a few of them? But I believe this, that the greatest answer that we have is found in the greater love of God. That there's a greater love than this world even knows and has ever experienced. It's found in the presence of Jesus that can heal and restore and transform and truly bring revival to our land. That's what I'm looking forward to, praying into, believing God for. And so we've touched on a lot of topics as we've gone through this series. And today I've been so longing to share this message in particular with you. It, um, it, it you know, touches my heart because it reminds me of my own journey and where the Lord's brought me from. If you have your Bibles, let's open together in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to share just a little bit about um, my journey. Maybe if you're new here to um, Evangel, you don't know much about me. But I was just thinking, Mandy, and I, I didn't say it to you uh, this morning, but, you know, a little about a week ago would have made 19 years since the Lord found me and redeemed my life and saved me. Um, we're going to be traveling after this service and going out to the middle of Pennsylvania. Central Pennsylvania is where the Lord met me. Man, I went to a camp um, with about four or 500 other students, and I was far from God. I was an atheist. I wanted nothing to do with that place, and I, I, someone had tricked me basically into going, it felt like. But I was there, and I didn't believe in God, but I left that camp as a completely different person. And it wasn't because the games were great. It wasn't because the music was perfect or the speaker was the best ever. It was because I met someone. I had an encounter with Jesus Christ. I really heard the good news of who he is and what he's done for me. And that message, that good news transformed my life when I encountered his presence. And when I came back from that place, I, my friends received a new friend home. I was different than I had left. My mom received a new son. I was different. People were like, this guy is crazy. Did he get brainwashed? Did something weird happen? It was the transforming power of the gospel. Somebody, are you with me? That God could in an instant transform someone's heart and life. Something changed deep within me. And when I got home, all I wanted to do was talk to my friends about Jesus. All I wanted to do was invite them to come to church. I just And, and it, was, it was like an overdrive. And... Here's what I want you to know. There was a motivation within me. There was something that was driving me that I think this passage we're going to talk about today is what it's all about. There's something that had gotten a hold of my heart and my life. And I believe that I saw in my neighborhood, in my family, in my friendships, a revival breakout that started right in my own neighborhood. And some of my closest friends, my family members, all came to faith in Christ in a short period of time. And lives have been transformed because of that. 
but something happened. And it's not because of me. It's because of what we're going to talk about today. Are you with me? Because I believe this is what the greater love of God is meant to cultivate inside of us. Are you with me? So come on, let's read this together. And if you wouldn't mind lifting your voice with me, if you're reading online or here with me, I just want to read verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5 together. One loud voice. You ready? For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. That's it. I just want to start right there. So Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. So the message I want to share with you today is called Compelled by Love. That the love of Christ is meant to motivate our life. You know, when you think about what you do, you also need to think about why you do what you do. There are a lot of things that we do in our lives, but if we just do those things and we're just going through the motions, um, that's one thing. But we also want to figure out what is the motivation behind what we're doing? What drives you? Why do you work? Why do you do what you do? Why do you get up every morning? Why do you go to a certain kind of job? Why do you say the things that you do and carry your life the way that you do? Why do you come to church? Why do you live the life that you're living? The motivation behind it is as important as the action sometimes. Because sometimes we can just go through the motions and you know what it feels like when someone is going through and doing something, but there's no heart in it. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're just going through it and there's nothing that's driving them. It's just like they're just a, just a robot, just going through it. I want you to know the Christian faith is never meant to be that. It's never meant to just be a series of actions apart from a heart and something compelling us and driving us. The Apostle Paul teaches us in God's word what that is. He says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced of something. We're convinced that Jesus died for all. And because of that, because he died, because he died and rose again, we can have new life in him. I want you to know when you become convinced about who Jesus is, your life is compelled by his love. You know, I've seen people that can be compelled or motivated by a few different things. Some can become motivated by fear, and everything they do in their life is fear-driven. Every decision they're making is because they're afraid something else is going to happen. And when they come into their faith in Christ, it's still fear. It's about, I'm afraid God's going to be mad at me. I'm afraid God's going to punish me. I'm afraid. And, and, and all these things. And I, here's what I know about relationships. Fear is not a great motivator, is it? I mean, it can be good, but it doesn't create health. It's actually a very good motivator. You can do a lot of things and scare people into it. But my relationship with my wife, I don't want that to be a fear-based relationship. My relationship with my kids, if it's fear-based, it can be unhealthy. Does someone know what I'm talking about? Has anyone ever been a part of a relationship or in something like that? When the motivation is fear and that's the forefront, that's the foundation, unhealth can grow so easily. But when love is the foundation... When love becomes my greatest motivating factor of my life, when I do what I do because there's a love that's driving me to do it, man, that's transformative and that's powerful. Now what the Apostle Paul says is Christ's love is what propels me, compels me, motivates me to do everything that I'm doing in my life. And when I look at that, I say, I want to be that kind of person. I want my life to be driven by the love of Christ. Here's why I did what I did when I first came to faith in Jesus is because I had found a love that I'd never experienced in this life. I had found a love that I didn't experience in my home. I found, I found something in my relationship with Jesus that was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. Then what did I want? I wanted that love to be shared with anyone that did not know it. So I knew friends and people that were right where I had been before, and I said, you need to know this love as well. You need to experience it. I didn't have as eloquent of words as I'm sharing with you today. I probably sounded a bit crazy to them. For some of you today, maybe I sound a bit crazy to you, but it's okay if I seem out of my mind if it's for his sake. Amen? If it's for the sake of Jesus, that, that's what it's about. 
being compelled, being driven by this love to do what Jesus has called us to do. I'm convinced of a few things today, church. I'm convinced there's no greater hope in this life than Jesus. I'm convinced that Jesus died for my sins and for yours. I'm convinced that I'll never be good enough to earn my way to him. I'm convinced that I'll never be able to do enough good works to earn my way into heaven. I'm convinced that there's no greater love that the world has ever seen than the love demonstrated in Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. I'm convinced that the greatest needs in this world can be healed, restored, transformed by the greater love of Christ, taking root in the hearts of his followers and them living lives shaped by that love. I'm believing that's a part of the answer the world needs at this moment. I'm convinced of these things. Amen? So the love of Christ compels us to live different lives. And there's three things in particular that from this passage, the love of Christ is meant to compel us, motivate us to do. So maybe you, not, you're new to our church or maybe a lot of your faith upbringing has been about fear. You've, you've been like, when you're at church, it's about being afraid of if I don't do the right things, God's gonna be mad at me. I want you to know that if you can take hold of this word today, and love can become the motivating factor, the love that Christ has for you and the love that Christ has lavished on you and the love that he has birthed in your heart, if that can begin to drive your life, transformation's waiting on the other side of it, my friend. So there's three things. The first thing that Christ's love compels us to do is to live as a new creation. Come on, say it with me. Live as a new creation. That's what the first thing is if you're taking notes today. And that's found here in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 15. You'll see some of it. It says this, For he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live, is anyone alive here today? That's you and me then. He died for all of us so that if we're alive today, we should no longer live for ourselves, themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Some of you are like, oh, I'm not supposed to live just for myself? Oh, okay. Uh, that, that could be a little bit grating because oftentimes this world tells you to live for yourself, take care of yourself, take care of you and your own. But the Bible says this, man, if, if, if you've taken hold, if the love of Christ is leading and guiding your life, this is what it looks like, that if you live your life, you no longer live for yourself. You live for Jesus, who's died and raised from the dead. Amen. That's the goal. That's the goal of it. Do we do it perfectly? No. But is it what we should strive for every single day? Absolutely. So it says that we no longer live for ourselves. We live for Jesus. And then in verse 16, it says, so from now on, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Regard no one from a worldly point of view. Don't look at them the way the world looks at them. Oh, this is some truth here. This is getting a little close to home. No longer are we supposed to look at one another as the world looks at each other. Do you want to know how the world's looking at each other? Just go on your social media thread. You'll find out. That's how the world's looking at each other. What does God's word says? No, no. We don't look through those eyes. We don't use those lenses. We don't use the Instagram filters. Are you with me? We're not supposed to use filters. We're supposed to filter this through the heart and love of Christ. Ooh, yeah, I heard you. You felt it. Because when we just take that as our instruction and our motivation, it's like, what is going on in the world around us right now? This is the way. It says, don't regard each other. Don't look at each other. And in, in, in this world, it is always us versus them. There's always, it seems to be multiple camps, and it's pitted against one another. And in Christ, it's like you can't look at everything from that. Don't use physical eyes to see it. Use spiritual lenses to, to really understand what's going on. 
And he says, so, so don't look through the worldly perspective. He said, even we looked at Jesus that way, and that was wrong. We can't regard one another through those lenses anymore, but look with eyes that Christ has for us in the way that he wants us to see. And then he says this, therefore, this is such a powerful verse. This is, a, uh, this is the verse that uh, speaks to the transformation that's happened in so many of our lives. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. He's a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. How many of you are thankful for that today? I'm not who I used to be. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not who I used to be. Then tell them, I'm not who I want to be. <laughs> I'm not fully there yet. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. Some of you have someone sit next to you. They think they're perfect, but God put you in their life to remind them that they're not, right? Um, but no, I mean, we're not perfect, but we're not who we used to be. And here's the deal. The enemy of your soul would want you to live in one of those other two camps. So want you to believe you're perfect and can never fail so that when you fail, he has you, or he's going to want to remind you of your past so that he can keep you from becoming everything God wants you to be. He wants you to live in one of those places. Jesus is here that says, I love you right where you are, but I love you too much to let you stay there. I'm going to continue to move you forward to become more like me every day. That's the goal of this journey that we're on. We are a new creation. I want you to know today, you are not defined by your past anymore if Jesus is Lord of your life. You're not just a byproduct of your worst decisions. You are now a child of God, a son, a daughter, an heir, a new creation. I want you to know that today. There's someone here, someone right in the front row as we were worshiping, praying. Someone felt a, a word in their heart and spirit. There's someone here maybe is struggling with their own life, whether they should continue to live. And I want you to know Jesus has a plan for your life. You are to live and not die. He, you're going to live to declare his praise. He needs you to know that today. I believe there's someone here watching online, wherever you are. God wants to get a hold of your life. He wants you to know that you're his. You're not who you used to be. You're not whatever it is that might be struggling in your mind and trying to grab a hold of you at this moment. If we're in Christ, we're a new creation. And we're meant to see ourselves differently. We're his now. We're meant to see one another differently. I want you to know this relationship has everything to do with every other relationship in our lives. You know, many people talk about the idea that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? It's about a personal relationship. It is about a personal relationship. The faith of your mom or your grandmother or any of them, that can't get you into heaven. Their prayers don't get you into heaven. Their prayers may put you in a position where you'll have an encounter with God for yourself, but you have to make a decision on your own. It won't be any of this. None of these things, none of my sermons, none of that can get you into heaven. It's only you coming face to face with the Lord and having that moment where you give your life to him. That's what changes us and, and brings this promise to uh, fruition in our lives. But here's what we think. We mistake the word personal for the word private. We think it's supposed to be a private relationship with God so we can get off the hook for sharing his love with others. It's never meant to be private. In fact, that relationship's meant to define every relationship in your life. That's the truth. We're meant to regard one another, not from a worldly point of view, but the way Jesus would want us to. And what that means is that there's no distinguishing factor. We're not meant to judge people anymore by their past. Come on, somebody. By the people group that they represent, by the pigmentation of their skin or the color of their skin. Are you with me? We don't regard anyone on that because we are all one in Christ. There's no dividing line. There's no wall. It's, you know, it's, there's nothing. It's so easy to get wrapped up in all of these things and to, to really look to those as our identifying markers. But I want you to know, for a Christian, the number one identifying marker of your life is your faith in Christ. You're his. That's it first. That's it first. It has to be it. 
And it's, it's all about, man, we can be, be excited about all these other things um, that, that, that cause us to be unique and different, and God made us that way. So we're not meant to be blind to that, but we are meant to be united by our first identity as followers, sons and daughters, the family. Galatians 3.28, there's no longer any Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, Male nor female, we were all one in Christ. It means everything in the world that was trying to create these lines of separation and hierarchy has been brought down because of Christ. As we sang, spirit break out, break the walls down. That's what happens when the presence of God comes in. The walls that divide us come down. Amen? Do we do that perfectly? Not always. Even the followers of Christ don't do it perfectly. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2, there's a very special moment in Scripture. I don't know if you know this. The Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' followers, after the church had started, we saw that there were different people groups that were now coming to faith in Christ. There were Jewish people that put their faith in Jesus. There were also Gentile people. Now, in that day and age, Jews and Gentiles didn't associate with each other. Uh, Gentiles were seen as unclean. They were a different people, even a lesser people, whatever it is. But now they came to faith in Jesus. And now the Holy Spirit's touching their lives. And they're there, but the church is struggling because they're still trying to create this hierarchy of like, well, there's Jewish people. Those are like the real believers. And then there's these Gentiles, which are kind of like over here somewhere. And, 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 the, and Paul's like, no, we're all one. Jesus has made us all one. All these verses, all this truth. And then Peter, one of the disciples, he's in Antioch in this town. And, and you could look it up in, in um, Galatians chapter 2. And he tells them in, Gal in Galatians, I had to oppose Peter to his face. He said, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. He was in the wrong. Why? Because when they were all eating meals together, Peter would only eat meals with the Jewish people and he, would, he wouldn't go anywhere near the Gentile people. And when Paul got there, he had to literally, can you imagine calling out Peter, one of the apostles, one of the disciples of Jesus said, you're wrong. This isn't what Jesus is about. Come on, there was, there, was some, there was some activism going on in the early church where he was literally needing to speak and say, no. I want you to know it. To live as a new creation means that we stand and we, we don't just sit silently by and say, oh, that all happens. No, not on our watch, not in the, among the people of God, not in the church. We're one. We protect that unity. We protect that place. We protect our identity as new creation. Are you with me, church? I want to pray that the Lord would help us to do this. How many of you need the Lord's help to do this? I need the Lord's help to do this. Lord Jesus, I pray right now, Lord God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Will you put people in my life, Lord God, like the Apostle Paul was for Peter? That, Lord, as they see it and they're full of your presence, Lord God, that they'll help me to see the speck in my own eye, the prejudice in my own eye, Lord, the things that I don't even see. Because, Lord, I want to see the world around me the way that you see them, Lord God, because I want to be used by you. Come on, would you just pray that simple prayer, Lord, help me to see like you. Surround me, Lord, with people that can help me to grow and become everything you want me to be that love me enough to help me see it in your name. Amen. So the first thing is that we want to live as new creations. That's the first thing. That when we live our lives, it's not just coming to church. It's every day of our lives. So our relationships is how we go. And as we live as new creations, the second thing that God's love compels us to do, Christ's love, is it compels us to love as Jesus loved. Everything in our lives is meant to be motivated by this. And when people experience us, they should be experiencing the same love that comes from Christ if it's in us. So it says this in verse 18, all this is from God 
Everything we have, everything we are is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, and he's committed to us the message of, yes, you guessed it, reconciliation. Four times in this, in this passage, what's the word that keeps coming up? Reconciled, reconciliation, reconciled. It'd be important to actually know what that word means, don't you, don't you think? Uh, so I put just a, a definition that I think is so important to grasp, so write this down if you're taking notes today. Reconciliation literally means this, to change from a state of enmity and fragmentation to one of harmony and fellowship. Man, how, much, how many people think the world today needs reconciliation? That's the <laughs> enmity and fragmentation that's happening. It's being pulled at, pulled at, pulled at. Do you want to know who the greatest example of reconciliation is in this world is what God has done in Jesus Christ. He's reconciled us. We were at odds in enmity against God, and we were apart from him, and he reconciled us, brought us into right relationship. But that isn't just meant to affect our, our relationship with him. It's meant to re reflect in our relationships with others, that we have now been given commissioned, called into this. And how can we do that? We must lead with the love of Christ, the, the love that is that Christ has birthed in our hearts, that he is born within us, needs to flow out of our lives to touch others. That is the, the uh, foundation of reconciliation. It is founded and rooted in God's greater love for us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave the whole gospel is rooted in the love of God. It is a demonstration of his love to provide this reconciliation for us. And so this is a part of God's love. It is calling us to love the way Jesus loved. Live as new creations, love as Christ loved. And finally, to lead others to Jesus. His love is meant to compel us. It's what happened for me over 19 years ago, almost 19 years ago. There was something that had taken root in my heart. It was the love that God had for me to really become convinced of it, to really be driven by it, to want others to experience. That is the ministry of reconciliation, my friends. It is going as far and wide as we can, anyone that we encounter, to say, if you're far from God, there's hope for you. If you feel unloved, there's a love that you've never experienced yet. It is the love that's in Christ. It is showing people that you love them enough to share God's love with them. And so this is that message. This is that incredible motivation. And here's what it says here in verse, um, verse 20. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. He says this, we are Christ's ambassadors. I want you to know that if you live as a new creation, if you love as Jesus loved, you are living in an identity. There's something about you. There's a calling that every single one of us have, whether you realize it or not. If you follow Jesus, you are Christ's ambassador. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm an ambassador. Had no idea that I've just, I was an ambassador. Here I am. Now, if you think about an ambassador, you have different kinds of ambassadors. You have an ambassador to a foreign country. You have a brand ambassador that would literally represent a brand uh, for a company or something like that. But let's just think about the identity of what an, what an ambassador really is. An ambassador is someone that is sent to a different place, and where they find themselves, they are meant to represent that which sent them or that who sent them. 
The one who sent them, they are meant to represent well. The place, the person, they're supposed to show what they're representing, the best of it, not the worst. Are you with me? You know why? Because anytime someone comes in contact with that ambassador, they make all their determination about the one who they're representing. Whatever they look like, they assume the one who sent them looks like. That's where things get sticky. Because there are too many Christians that forgot maybe that they're Christ's ambassadors. And they're doing all the things about what they think and what they feel and spouting off all that stuff. And people begin believing Jesus thinks all the things that they're thinking. They have no idea that they're representing him. Are you with me? I hear too many groans, man. I didn't hear the groans when I was preaching to a camera. Maybe you're groaning at home. But it's, it, it's serious. It's serious to, re, to realize it. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, he says, with the knowledge of the fear of the Lord, I persuade men. That I'm rooted in this reality that I represent Jesus. Do you realize that if you follow him, you represent him? You're meant to represent his heart. When your kids see you, mom, dad, they're meant to see Jesus' heart in you. When their coworkers see you, you bear the name Christ, the Christian. We're meant to be his ambassadors, as though God is making his appeal through us. What kind of appeal is being made through our lives in the way that we're demonstrating his love to others? Sometimes it's because we're not living in the awareness of it. Sometimes it's we're not living in that place of being rooted and grounded in the greater love. Sometimes the wrong motivations creep in and try to get us off track and doing things for the wrong reasons. But if we can align our hearts, align our lives back to this place to realize Christ loves us right where we are and that love has transformed our lives and he has now called us to represent him well. That when people come in contact with us, may they feel the heart and presence and love of Christ through us. And may the gospel begin to take root in their hearts and their lives. May people come to faith in Jesus Christ, not because they came to a church service, but because the presence of Jesus was so thick on someone's life that when they came in contact with them, it was like an altar call at a church service. Not because they stood condemning them, but because the love of Christ wrapped around them in that moment. Are you with me? That's what we want to see. That's what we want to be. That's how we want to live our lives. And it's possible because of what Jesus promised us. It says, you will receive power, Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in all the ends of the earth. We share this message, that God made him who, was, who had no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. We have this incredible privilege, church family. This is our identity. Greater love, the greater love of Christ is meant to shape us and send us into this world to share his love with others. Come on up, Pastor Rick and our worship team. We want to pray this morning that we could represent him well. Amen? Come on, would you bow your heads and your hearts with me today? The first and foremost place that you have to find yourself today, though, is knowing whether or not you have ever responded to this love. Because this love can't compel you to live differently if that love hasn't captured your heart yet. If you don't have a real personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about doing good things and being a charitable person. I'm talking about the fact that you've placed your faith, your confidence, your conviction in this reality. That Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the dead. He wants to have a real living relationship with you. And you're ready to turn from your old life. The old is gone and embrace the new life he has for you. If you're ready to do that, today's the day. Today's the day to call upon the name of the Lord and experience 
what it means to be saved by his grace. So if you're here right now, within the sound of my voice, you're watching online, and you just know in your heart today is the day you could feel something. It's the presence of God pulling at you. I know what that felt like that first moment when it happened for me. But if you're ready, begin to pray this prayer with me, wherever you find yourself today. Pray, dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, into my life. Take over, Lord. I turn away from my sin, and I turn towards you. I put my trust in you. I believe that you died, that you rose again for me, and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Lord, we just pray right now for those that made this decision. Lord, may your presence and your Holy Spirit wrap your arms around them. Lead them, guide them, transform them, make them a new creation today. Bring them from death to life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church fam, let's celebrate with those that made that decision today. If you're here and you made that decision, I want you to know you're not alone. We want to give you a special gift. We have a book called Following Jesus right there. And on your way out today, you could stop right up on the end of that um, platform over there by the speaker. And you can grab that book and take it with you. It's our gift to you. If you're here watching, if you're online, we have it digitally. Just text the number that we've put up on the screen. And also click the link there in the chat. And we'll get that book to you digitally. We'd love to walk with you and help you walk out this journey. Now for each of us, church family, my prayer is that we would have lives that are compelled by his love, that we would go in obedience wherever it is that he would send us. Amen? That we would live our lives, whether it is in our job, in our family, in our workplace, on mission, representing Jesus well as his ambassador, representing his heart and his greater love. Amen? He leads and guides our lives all along the way. Before I close in prayer, and I want to pray that over you, uh, we also want to share some news about someone on our team and on our staff here at Evangel. And um, it's Pastor Paul and Alicia Croswell. We love them. Would you show them some love here today? <laughs> pastor Paul, when I first met him, um, it was many years ago. I was a young adult pastor. And when I first heard about Pastor Paul, he was, uh, he was just a, a teenager, but he was in the hospital battling for his life. And I remember praying and praying for him before a missions trip where I was going with his sister to Africa. And um, then to see God bring him through and then for us to begin to build a relationship and him to ask me if I would pour into his life. And for the last nine years, we've been really walking a journey together. He's become almost like a spiritual son and just tried to pour my heart into his, his life. And about two and a half years ago, three years ago, they came onto our team here at Evangel Time Flies um, and stepped in as our student ministries pastors to really lead our next generation ministries. And I'm so thankful for that and uh, see the anointing on his life. Well, in September, he began to come and share with me that God was putting, a, he felt like maybe a transition in his heart. He, he didn't know what it was, and, and he didn't know what was happening, but he felt a shifting. And so we began to pray. We fasted together. We, uh, we just talked together. We walked it out, and we're trying to figure out, Lord, what are you saying in this season? And uh, it's come to a point where Pastor Paul is really feeling like a, a step is necessary. And so I'm going to invite him and Alicia to come up at this time. He's going to share a little bit more about what that looks like. And let's just uh, show our love to them as they do. the transition and just everything that God's brought us through. Like, like Pastor Chris said, I mean, since fall, 
we've been having this ongoing conversation and praying together, fasting together, even sharing tears together uh, about trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? What are you saying in the midst of this? And in the last couple of months, God just made it really clear that he's calling us, he's calling Alicia and I to take a step, to take a step of faith. And what's been resonating with me is a story in Acts chapter 16, speaking of the Apostle Paul, um, where Paul said he wanted to go to Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit would not permit him to go. Here's this man of God, right, this person who wants to go to share the gospel, to preach the good news about Jesus, and he desires to go to this place to do it, and the Holy Spirit said, no, there's something else I need you to do. And his responsibility in that moment was obedience, and we feel the exact same. And, you know, there's so much more we can say, but one thing that I do want to say on behalf of both Alicia and I is that, man, we are so excited that we get to be a part of Evangel Church as our family. Thank you so much for trusting us with your children, for allowing us to walk with you, to walk with them, to pour into them, and to do life together. We are so, so very grateful. Thank you. So we, we love them. We've spent a lot of time praying and Pastor Paul will know I've been in, I was in denial for a little bit, just like, hold on, I think there's something the Lord is doing, but, but honestly, as we really came to this clear picture, I felt the peace of God in my heart, and he did in his. It doesn't always have to make sense or add up when we follow God. It, it often doesn't. Does that make sense, church family? But uh, we want to honor them, and we want, um, well, they already know, but we, we say as a church family, we're 100% behind the plan and purpose God has in their life, and we're going to get a front receipt of that. Evangel has been family and was before, continues to be family. So by the end of this month, they're going to transition out of their role um, as student ministry pastor. So pray for us because we're believing God is going to send who's going to be the next uh, leader in that ministry area towards us. But in the meantime, we want to bless them and pray over them. So at the end of this month, we're going to have a special time where they'll share some more and we'll pray over them and commission them into what God has for them. But right now, today, I just think connected to this message, um, you know, I want to pray over them. So would you stand to your feet and let's just pray uh, God's blessing, his riches towards them. Extend your hand towards them right now. And um, right now, if you're online watching, let's just pray for them. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for Pastor Paul and Alicia. We thank you for the love you have for them. We thank you for the way that they've led and ministered, Lord, and been your representatives, your ambassadors. For this season, you've placed them here. Now for a new season, you want to bring them into something new, Lord God. You alone know that, and we stand by, Lord God, in support, discerning your will, Lord God, feeling your peace, and Lord God, linking arms and hearts, Lord God, to help them walk in the fullness of what you have for them. So we pray your blessing fall upon them. Holy Spirit, anoint them and continue to touch them, Lord God. Make them a living example of a life lived by faith, Lord God. And so we pray, even for us that are all here standing, Lord God, help us to hear your voice, Lord God, to not just lean towards our preferences, but to lean into the direction of what you would put before us, that we could be that living example of what it means to live life set apart by you, Lord. Allow this word to take root in our hearts, Lord God. We pray your blessing on us as we go today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's praise God together. Amen. We love you guys so much. Amen.